Pastor Xavier Reese helps answer the age-old question regarding God's sovereignty and the state of the world. God's ideal was shattered in the garden. Man's new world was the result of the fall, not God's doing. Many people want to blame God. Why is there disease? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why are there children born blind, deformed? Listen, this is the result of man's rebellion against God. The fall, sin nature is here. It's not God's doing. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that in Christ we are brand new. Well, that's the same story of the world after the flood. Noah and seven other family members were given the opportunity to start over. And Pastor Xavier reminds us the same promise is available for us today. Let's join him in the book of Genesis for today's encouraging message. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 17, and the message entitled, A New World, New Rules. Whenever there is a destruction of buildings by the forces of nature, be it through earthquake or some other phenomena, the process of rebuilding usually falls under more stern or stringent building codes, clearly declaring that the old ones were outdated. In like manner, God begins to communicate to Noah here the new order for the new world. He has just destroyed every living being from the face of the earth, except for these eight people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. The narrative provides for us God's order to Noah and his sons in the covenant of salvation history which is characterized by three elements in these 17 verses. Let me read them for us. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all the moves on the earth, and on all the flesh of the sea they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of a man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And so the narrative here again provides for us God's order to Noah and his sons in the covenant of salvation history. It's characterized by three elements. Verse 1 through 7, you have the particular details of the covenant. Verse 8 through 11, you have the particular promise of the covenant. And verse 12 through 17, you have the particular sign of the covenant. The particular details of the covenant are very, very important. It's a new world, new rules. Notice the mandate to populate the earth is given in verse 1, and it will be recapitulated or summarized in verse 7. In verse 1, the proclamation is of personal benefit. So God blessed Noah and his sons. The ones being addressed are Noah and his sons. There's no one else. But notice here that God always addresses the man in his dealing with the covenant relationship, never the wives. We saw that already with Adam. God dealt with Adam. Adam delegated to his wife. He didn't do too good a job, and God called that to his attention. He didn't communicate. He didn't oversee properly. Only when the nation of Israel was in such a decay position or backslidden or in bondage did God call women to the forefront to the shame of the men, Deborah, Esther, and others. But when Israel was lined up with God, he always deals with the men as the leaders. In fact, remember Jeremiah and Isaiah. One of the judgments is to take away your strong men, your young men, your, your brave men, and give you over to women and children to rule you. Look around to our nation. It's a sign of judgment. The word blessed can mean different things, as you know, depending on the context. The idea of our context here is a personal benefit and enrichment. This is the third time God has blessed man. Genesis 1, 28, 5, 2, this is the third one. Now notice the proclamation is specific. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The first time the word blessed appears is in the same context of procreation in chapter 1, verse 22 and 28. The blessing of God in his creation that he made man in the image of God that he can procreate. He can, he can replicate himself in kind. That's the blessing of God. God creates living things, not dead things. The greatest blessing on God in marriage is you. Come together, and there's children. Your children are a blessing. Verse 7, the affirmation is given at the end of the section here. Verse 7 is the end of the first section. So verse 1 and verse 7 are tied together. The proclamation is, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. The multiplication, bringing forth abundant on the earth, and to multiply it. And so he just ties it together. Now, the second mandate comes in verse 2. And that is the mandate of ruling over the animal kingdom. The relation between man and animals now is different. The animal would fear man. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. And the word fear, as you know, means dismay. The word dread means terror. The combination communicates the complete animosity 
and hostile environment of the new world that did not exist pre-flood in Adam's day. By the way, both of these terms are military terms used for war, dread and fear. Deuteronomy 121, 1125, and 31.8. Everything's out of kilter now. God's ideal is lost in the garden and in the first world. Now, notice the relationship would include all animals. On every bird of the air, on all the moves on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea, God's ideal was shattered in the garden. Man's new world was the result of the fall, not God's doing. Many people want to blame God. Why is there disease? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why are there children born blind, deformed? Listen, this is the result of man's rebellion against God. He continues to rebel against God. The fall, sin nature is here. It's not God's doing. It's man's rebellion against God. Animals cannot and should not be valued as human beings. He make a clear distinction in this whole passage between man and animal. Don't confuse them. They are given into your hand, he says. The dominion of man over the animals was given to Adam in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. But even now, the dominion continues, but in a fallen and violent world. Now there's the animosity between man and the animals. The third mandate comes in verse 3 and 4, the mandate of eating meat. The entire animal kingdom is now to be as a provision for man's food supply. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, listen, even as the green herbs. So now they're put in comparison and in addition to. There is no exception. Every moving thing that lives. So whatever moves and breathes, you want to kill it and eat it, pray over it. Stuff your face. Thank God. You don't want to eat it, don't eat it. It's up to you. The purpose is for food. The comparison is stated by the phrase, even as the green herbs. Underline that. So now both herbs, vegetables, and meat. The only prohibition is found in verse 4, blood. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The word blood marks the sharp contrast between what proceeds. And the prohibition is propitious, personal, and prophetic. The taking of a life of an animal was to give life to a person. Think about it. Someone dies so you continue to live. God's creation made for you. That doesn't mean you can kill animals just to kill them for food. Propitious in that the blood was given as an atonement for sin. Genesis 3.21, God killed a little animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Leviticus 17.11 says, I have given you the blood for an atonement upon the horns of the altar. Personal, to eat flesh with blood, was not permitted. In other words, you bleed the animal. You don't eat it with blood in it. First of all, it would be a health protection. Second of all, to remind you that blood gives life. It should be used for atonement. All right? And we see this in the law later on. The law was both hygienical to protect you from disease. You drink the blood and there's disease in it, then you get sick. 
but also prophetically because the pagans of the land who would move away from God and worship the creature more than the creator would begin to worship animals and four-footed things and creeping things. And they would use it as a form of their gods. And they would worship their gods in animal sacrifice. Remember Corinthians? They would go to the market where the meat had been sacrificed to idols. Now, when you get to verse 5, now you have the mandate of capital punishment. Things are changing. The proclamation is not an option. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. This is the first appearance of capital punishment in the scriptures. This is the basic and source as well as the, new, as the Ten Commandments for all human government. As you look to this passage, including capital punishment. Not until modern times, with the rise of the age of reason and humanism, has capital punishment been opposed. The proclamation is all-inclusive. Mark it well. The animal kingdom would be under this mandate. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, Exodus 21, 28 through 32, requires it also. Now, think about it. Just a while back, we had this uh, mountain cat, this cougar, kill some uh, bikers over in, in San Diego. What'd they do? They went after the cat and killed him. Why? He killed a man. Well, that's what should be done to men. We're talking about murder. We're not talking about accidental. We're not talking about self-defense. And the law will back that up. All right? But we value animals more than people, and yet we still kill that animal if that animal kills a person. The reasoning is cockeyed. The race of man would equally be under mandate, not only the animals. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of the man. Three times God says he will demand accountability by the word require. Three times. By the way, this has never been lifted. And I'll show you that as we get to the application. It's applicable in the New Testament. If you oppose capital punishment, you do it by your own conscience, not because the Bible teaches it. And I'm going to show you that. And I can respect your opinion, but never teach it as biblical. There's a difference between your conscience and what's taught biblically. And you must make a distinction between this. The affirmation of the proclamation is given in verse 6. The murderer shall die. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. This is not talking about accidental again or self-defense, but premeditated first-degree murder. You get an altercation, you kill a man. You plan and you kill a man. The law, Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 19, many other portions backs it up. Now, the reason is important is that man is created in God's image. Verse 6 says, for in the image of God, he made man. That's the reason he tells you, you must take a man's life who kills another man because it's a first, it's an offense against God and against man. You get rid of God, well, then you have no reason for it, right? Now you're, you're more compassionate than God. Now you're smarter than God. Interesting. Notice the distinction between the qualitative value between animal life and human life. It is purposeful, deliberate, and very, very clear. The aborting of fetuses is killing of a child. Murder. Plan premeditated because they're created in the image of God. And God will hold every medical doctor whoever did an abortion guilty of murder. Pretty heavy. 
It's not tissue. The minute that egg and that sperm comes together, it's a life. The new world was to be taught under different rules. Several things are to be taught. Here they are. That God is the creator still. That man is created in the image of God. That God will demand the taking of a life. That man is to fear God. Real simple principles that will keep society clean and orderly. You remove those, you result with a society like ours. Unjust, chaotic, no authority. Every parent that wants his home to run as smooth as possible sets certain rules of do's and don'ts that are clearly delineated with consequences to those members of the family who think they're the exception. A prompt, faithful administration and execution of these rules and consequences will maintain order and authority. You remove those consequences, you have just destroyed authority. Authority is destroyed because there's no consequences. And we've allowed the world to clutter up our mind between wisdom and stupidity. Hmm. The man's role is to be the head and the high priest of his home as a type of Christ, loving. He is to lead his family knowing the word of God. Men, if you do not know the word of God, you will not be able to lead your families. One of the greatest tragedies in the church today is that men are not the spiritual heads of their home. You need to know the word of God. You need to understand the benefit of each individual role, the head and the completion, the wife. And the benefit of those two roles being lived out in incredible balance and beautiful complementing value. Recognizing the problems that will be incurred in the home if they're not followed. The man as a type of Christ, the head, the wife as a loving, submissive party, submissive in all things as Ephesians 5, 21, 22, 23, 24, uh, Colossians 3, 18, 1 Peter 3, 1. But in all things means everything the scriptures declare. The scripture your protection, ladies. You don't submit to everything or anything that a man says, but what is biblical, not abusive, not ungodly, not unscriptural. We don't have time to go into marriage seminar, but there's your principle, okay? Now, the wife is not to be going against the husband's decisions. Again, he's a type of Christ. He's making decisions biblically. Sometimes women come out of the world and they oppose the head, and the children see that. The husband says, let's do it this way. When he leaves, she does it her way. Ladies, no, no, no. You're teaching your young daughters and your sons what it is to be a wife a godly mother, a godly wife. A woman's not to deal with the confrontational issues, especially with men. Ladies, you get in some problems with some neighbor, don't even argue with them. Say, you know what? My son or my husband, Tom, gets home at 5 o'clock. I'll have him come and speak to you. Do not get in a man's face. You're not made for that. That man will abuse you. He'll tower over you. Don't create problems for yourself. He won't get in your husband's face. If he does, something will happen. <laughs> you understand? 
Man, you're the protectors. You never allow a man to confront your wife. When we deal with women here, if they don't have husbands, we, if, they're, if they're young ladies, we confront their father, we bring them in. If they have husbands, we ask them to come in. We never confront a woman on herself. We're not her head. It's real simple. The children are to be obedient also in everything. Ladies, listen to me well. Your children are learning from you what it is to be a godly mother and a godly wife. And sometimes women stay with the mind of the world, and if they contradict their husbands, or if they're always nagging, they're always putting the pressure on the husband, you know what happens? You're going to drive your children away from you, and maybe even away from Christ. You model that, that example at home through prayer, through delegated authority. And when that comes home, you make sure you squeal on them, okay? You don't hold back from your husband what they've done. Five minutes before he comes, oh, mom, I think the trial do it. No. You and your husband are one. No one gets between you and your wife. Not even the little rugrats. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. The head of every man of every woman is the man. First Corinthians eleven three, God's creative order. Why? Stability, strength, direction, wholesomeness. Do you realize the entire population of the world is a result of Noah's children? People have a hard time with that. The world of Noah, as we've seen, was estimated somewhere around seven billion people, and we did the mathematics. It's real simple. Now. By the time as we move through Genesis, by the time Abraham was born from Noah's sons to Noah's time, with an average marriage age of 30 years old, with eight children, which is not far-fetched for those days, the population could have been 80 million by the time Abraham was born. If there are no gaps. If there are gaps, there's a lot more. All right? Now, The message of overpopulation is a bit exaggerated. The entire world population today can be placed in the state of Texas. The size of Texas is 266,807 square miles. That would allow each person to have a 1,160 foot square foot living space, 34 by 34. Now, I'm not supposed proposing that that's where you live and you're going to be comfortable, but I'm trying to show you that you could give every person in the world a 34 by 34 space to live in the state of Texas. All of the people leaving the entire world empty. (laughs) Where's the overpopulation of the world? The only overpopulation is in the minds and the agenda of those in power who control the masses to remain in power and possess the material possessions and the wealth of the world. Do you realize that the government pays farmers not to farm? We can, we can farm now eight to ten times greater uh, abundance than before. The government pays the farmers not to farm, to keep prices control, to throw milk away. Man creates the shortages of food, oil, vaccines, often to control prices, to convince the masses that there are shortages because of overpopulation to control you. You and I are a product of it. Most of us have 2.2 kids or one point and a half kids because we believe the lie. 
This philosophy is a philosophy of fear and despair pumped up by the powers of the political people and the liberal media. Listen to Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked man rules, the people groan. People are groaning. They want to put fear in you. Listen, if you don't know the word of God, you're going to freak out. If you know the word of God, you're going to be stable. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to surviving in a post-flood world. And you can request a copy of today's fundamental message, A New World, New Rules. We're making it available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass along these important truths to your friends and loved ones. Now, the title to ask for once again is A New World, New Rules. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Why is the flood of Noah so unique? That's our topic on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 